But let's read his word together. Why don't you stand with me? We have two passages related to our text today, and it's not the text I'll be reading from, but again, related to what we're looking at in discipleship. These two passages, let's read. Let me get my glasses so I can see with you. Let's read it. John 17, 21. That they may be one as you, Father, are in me, and I in you, that they may be one. Do you think Jesus wants us to be one? <laughs> By the way, this is his prayer. This isn't, a, this isn't a message. This isn't one of his teachings. This was actually recorded. Jesus transcribed. The Holy Spirit gives it to John the Apostle and writes it down. This was actually what Jesus was praying to the Father. He wants us one. Not just one in this room, but one with our brothers and sisters in Christ worldwide but you can't live with everybody worldwide you need to be one here but you can be one in prayer matter of fact continue to pray i mean just this week we had uh two nigerians killed for the faith i care about them if you saw my uh, any of those of you followed me on facebook i put that you know, most christians don't even care yeah i said it because most don't most couldn't care less it's just kind of like you know I, i'm more focused on the super bowl and i like football and stuff but it has its place but we're to, we're to be one, uh, not just one together, but also one in spirit. And so uh, God wants us to kind of cultivate that unity in him. Next passage, Romans 10, 15. As it is written, how beautiful are the feet of those who preach the gospel of peace, who bring glad tidings of good things. We love those words. As it is written. That's what our life is built on. And so if after that it says something we need to do, we need to do it. Amen? Let's pray. We've been praying week after week after week for revival. I was praying it this morning, and I know, Lord, I know there's people in this room that need revival. Um, I know. I love the Lord. I know I love the Lord. I know if I got called home today, Jesus would say to me, well done, good and faithful servant, even though he's overlooking a gazillion flaws on my part. But he would say, I know that you've been faithful. Boy, you failed a lot, but you've been faithful. <laughs> That's what he would say. Actually, he wouldn't say the failure part. But would he say that in your life? Hey, we all have the failures, but are you being faithful? And so he wants us to pray for revival and daily revival. I need renewal every day. How about you? We need to be living sacrifices. Living sacrifices tend to jump off the altar. So we need daily revival, daily conviction daily cleansing but outside these four walls and inside these four walls, some of you have never been spiritually revived you're not even born again yet and people outside here all over the city don't know jesus yet and you wonder why you're like how can they think that way well they're not saved how can they behead someone in africa well they're not saved. how can they behead someone in the middle east well they're not saved. how can they put someone in a dungeon in north korea well they're not saved they're you know they're still ruled by the god of this age how can people be so cruel in their own families and all these different situations right here in America? They don't know Jesus. We need revival. How can Congress be so messed up? Well, they need revival. How can D.C. be? You know, I'm not kidding about all that stuff. I, I, I don't care less about Republican, Democrat, President. I'll know we all mean business when we stop doing this and people get on their knees and start praying, God, forgive us. 
Because even the people that are right sometimes still have a lot of things wrong in their heart. You ever notice that? I know people that are right that I'm like, wow, I, you're not fun to hang out with. You're really right, but you're miserable right. So that's not good either. God looks at the heart, doesn't he? Let's pray. Lord, we just bow before you. We know that it's your desire for a revival to begin in the household of God. And the greatest thing that could be done, Lord, is was done in there in Acts chapter 2 when the Holy Spirit fell and cleaned house and burned away the chaff and cleansed hearts from sin and, Lord, got rid of the pride and the arrogance that we have in our own country. We're an arrogant people, prideful. Lord, you hate pride. One of the things that you detest, Satan's first sin was pride. And so, Lord, even if we have a bunch of things in our lives that we say we do, we do this well, but we are full of pride, Lord, you hate it. Lord, forgive us of our own sins. Not just uh, that our nation needs revival. Not just that those that are in Muslim rule or those that are in communist rule, they need revival too. They need salvation. But, Lord, we pray that it would start with us. And those of us that know you, Lord, we'd finally say, yes, Lord, I'm committed to being your son or daughter, your servant, and your disciple. Lord, forgive us of our own sins. Wash us. Cleanse us. Lord, if we've been complaining, grumbling, forgive us. If we've been pointing the finger at others, Lord, when there's several pointing back at us, forgive us. Lord, in this room, bring healing to relationships and reconciliation and, and hurting hearts and uh, prodigals come home and all these things, Lord, that we pray for constantly, Lord, we know you can do it because your Holy Spirit has the power to open eyes. Lord, use your word this morning. We ask these things in the name of Jesus. Lord, we pray also a special prayer for these hurting brothers and sisters in Nigeria and in China and in North Korea and in parts of India and in Syria, and in Iraq, and Iran, and all these different places, Lord, where they're literally, Lord, running and hiding for their lives. Lord, we pray that you'd rescue them. And Lord, may their strong faith inspire us to keep the faith and to intercede on their behalf. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. You may be seated. Turn with me to three places. Thankfully, God gave you ten, ten fingers, so uh, three places. First uh, place is John chapter 13, then Matthew chapter 28, and Romans chapter 1. So, John 13, Matthew 28, Romans chapter 1. Starting first in John 13, again, this is related to the two sections we'll be looking at, family and sharing the gospel, these discipleship uh, um, components or key guiding principles. If you're visiting with us, we're going through 12 discipleship principles that not only we all need to live by as believers, but are also part and parcel of us as a Calvary Chapel church family. Jesus gave them to everybody. They're not, they're not exclusive to us. Every church could, not only should, but must adopt these in their walk. But then there's other things, too, that we're not covering because there's many other facets of discipleship. But these are the 12 that we're covering in this six-week period. And so uh, related to our passage, uh, related to uh, the text that we'll look at, related to our two today in John 13, look at with me at verse uh, 34. 
starting verse 34, a new commandment I give to you that you love one another. As I have loved you, not just that you love one another, Jesus said, you already knew that. That was the second great command. First is love God with all your heart, soul, mind. Second is to love your neighbor. Jesus said, here's where it's new. You got to love them like I love them. No one had ever seen God actually live it out in the flesh. This is what makes it totally new. Jesus said, you've heard the commandment. You already knew it. They're like, we already know that commandment. Here's the new part. Do it like I do it. Wow. Disciples are like, we've seen that. That's hard to do. As that you love one another as I have loved you, that you also love one another. By this, all will know that you're my disciples if you have love for one another. The world will see that Calvary Chapel Richmond, that you as a believer, that you as a disciple are different than them because they're like, wow, you actually know how to love and forgive? I just light you up on Twitter. I just light you up on social media. I just cut you out of my life. I get even. That's the world's philosophy, right? And Jesus says, I do none of that. I die for you. How about that? Now, in the same, Jesus ended up washing their feet. He, saw, he gave them these different tangible examples. Turn with me over to Matthew 28. Take a left-hand turn in your Bible. Hold your place in Romans because that's a right-hand turn. That was driver's ed for those of you that are young. You know, just kind of helping you out there. Left-hand turn, right-hand turn. Left, uh, Matthew chapter 28. You know the passage, but we must read it again. Go, therefore, and... Uh, verse 19, by the way. Uh, Go, therefore, and make disciples of all the nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit, teaching them, here it is, to observe all things which I have commanded you. And lo, I am with you to the end of the age. It's the disciples. He says, you've got to go make them. You're going to have to go. The gospel has to be taken somewhere. Yes, the gospel has already been preached all over the world, but new people are being born all the time, and people need somebody to go. We just read how, how beautiful are the what? Feet of those that preach the gospel. Yeah, it's not just feet. We take airplanes. We take trains. But there's a commission here. There's a mission to take the gospel. Now, the gospel itself expressed in Romans chapter 1. Turn over with me to Romans 1. And Paul gives these words, and boy, this, this has to be the way we are. I'm going to ask you to be real honest for just a second here. I'm going to raise my hand. Raise your hand if you've ever actually been ashamed of the gospel. I have. Raise your hand. If you've ever been ashamed of the gospel. Now, you were, ever, you were supposed to say something about the gospel, and you wouldn't do it. Then your hand should go up. You were ashamed. You were too scared. I can put two hands up. Both of you didn't have your hands up. You're the boldest people I've ever met. I will follow you for the next 10 years and verify. I have a feeling I'd win that bet. I'm just not. I'm too tired to raise my hand. That's what it was. But regardless, I, some of you didn't raise your hand. I'm positive there's a time that you should have spoke and did not. If not, then you are greater than the apostles because Peter denied Jesus three times. But Paul said this. You do get to a place, though, that you start to overcome all that. Yes, yes. And so it becomes less and less. That makes sense? Mm-hmm. And, and deep in your spirit, you can say this where he says, because we're not perfect, but we can actually say in our spirit, and Paul expressed it, Romans chapter 1, verse 16, for I am not ashamed of the gospel. 
For it is the power of God to salvation for everyone who believes, to the Jew first and also to the Greek. For in it the righteousness of God is revealed from faith to faith. Now we'll come back to that passage at the end of this study. But let's pray. Father, we just bow before you this morning. We pray that you would take this message and me, your servant, and use it for your glory. Lord, I have nothing to offer. Remove me, as it were, once again from the equation. Lord, fill me with your spirit. Uh, Open up the hearts and minds of your people. Fill them with your spirit. Lord, anoint your word that we might see Jesus. We want to love as you love Jesus. We want to hear and be changed and transformed. May we have hearing ears and soft hearts. Lord, remove every distraction, every fear, every worry, every dis- anything, Lord, thinking about what's back at the house or what needs to be done. Remove it all that we would hear from you and you alone. In your name we pray. Amen. If you're t- taking notes this morning, you see our title again, the Be Light series, uh, Love Like Family and Sharing the Gospel. And let me start off again this morning with a short list of questions. Uh, some quick background first. So Jesus, he comes down from heaven. I think we'd all agree with this. He comes down at the exact time determined by the Father. True? Didn't come in medieval times. Didn't come in our time. Didn't come at the time of the flood. He comes at the exact time as determined by the Father. He lives 30 years in virtual obscurity. We know next to nothing about those 30 years, except for when he's 12 years old at the temple. We know about running down to Egypt. We know a few things, but most of those 30 years lived in obscurity. He then calls 12 disciples. They'll later become the 12 apostles. Judas is out. Paul comes in. He spends extra time training and preparing those 12 men for three full years. It would be like a 1,000 years in seminary. Three years with Jesus. He saves many souls, calls many more disciples, not just the 12. He calls other disciples. You see the sending of the 70, for example. He heals thousands of people. It's even it's mind-boggling that he was crucified given all that he had done, that they, they could turn back, but it was the will of God. But he cast out many demons. He taught on the law, fulfilled the law. And then his death, his suffering, his resurrection, it completed every single necessary for salvation. Amen? Everything was completed. Redemption, the gift of grace, shortly after his resurrection and then his ascension, he provides the indwelling and the outpouring of the Holy Spirit. So with all that, and leaving out a whole bunch of other stuff, John said all the books in the world couldn't contain it. All the other things that Jesus conveyed, that he conquered, that he established, that he modeled, that he completed, that he instructed. Here are my questions. Did Jesus come on a mission to save us personally from death and hell? Another question. Did he come to fulfill scriptural prophecies? Did he come to raise up 12 apostles? Did he come to plant and establish the church? Did he come to defeat death, sin, hell, Satan? Did he come to establish the kingdom of God? Did he come to build up the family of God and unify us all in his love? Did he come to provide the Holy Spirit? Did he come to initiate the writing of the New Testament? Did he come to make us disciples? Or did he come that we'd have a personal relationship with God the Father? You know how to answer this. Yes. If you're new, I say I do these a lot. 
because we live in a very right, wrong, I'm right, you're wrong. But actually, God hits many bullseyes with one arrow. Jesus did all that. I could go on and on with the list, and they were all important to God and all had to be completed. And Jesus checked every box. So I was like, well, I got these done, but these didn't get done. All important. Every one of these accomplished works of Jesus were part of his mission, part of the will of God, part of his sovereignty, and all connected to eternity. All of them are connected to eternity. While they're still operating right now in us personally and collectively. All that stuff I read, we're, we're part of the living life of that. That's why that John 17 prayer is still happening right now in us. That wasn't just a prayer in the garden. It's happening now, isn't it? He, was ta- he said those that aren't even, the, uh, those that will come later he was talking about. That's us. The answer um, is yes. It's so important to never forget this because as you study the Bible, as you uh, look at the call of discipleship, it can be daunting. I'll admit that. Deci- just looking at the, wow, disciples have to do all of this? It's a bit overwhelming. Especially the more you read the whole of Scripture, you'll find there's stuff, you get to, we're getting to Hebrews, there's some heavy lifting in there, isn't there? Like, wow, this is a lot. Lord, do you know how bad I am just managing a grocery list? You know, that, you know looking at this? How can I live up to all this? How, how am I going to fit all this in and do it all in obedience? How am I going to minister to all these people, Lord? How do I do all this? You ever asked yourself that? I ask myself that. I, Lord, like, stop asking yourself this. Get back in the Word. It's a, but it's a fair question in the sense of our fragile human state. It's a fair question to say, Lord, we're not really good at managing all of this. Jesus, you had shoulders that could hold up the universe. We don't. And if we look at this list, we say, how do we do all this? How do we love like you do? And the answer is, for the list of discipleship stuff, that even the 12 that we're looking at, which there's more than just these 12, the answer is we'll actually only be focused on a few, but we'll actually do considerably more than the few by the power of the Holy Spirit. Does that make sense? You'll focus on a few, and you'll do many. Um, here's a graphical view that I, that I hope is instructional. I used to do a lot of graphs back in my day, and I still like to drag them out every now and then. So here's one, um, my former career. Um, but here's a graphical view I hope is instructional in conveying uh, our simplified lives as disciples and how the Holy Spirit operates within the life of a believer. Uh, and you see i got these little two feet down here. And you see they're actually touching all four areas of that circle that we have our personal walk there that's so important in the Word, in prayer. The Holy Spirit is actually discipling us. Did you know the Holy Spirit is the one ultimately disciples you? It's not actually a pastor or even another brother and sister in Christ, although we are given the responsibility. We're just kind of a go-between. But it's the Holy Spirit that really disciples us, though we still have their accountability. Then you have, you have to be discipling and ministering and being a light in your own family, but then within the church family. But then ultimately, outside where the blue part is, oh, that's the world out there. They need Jesus. 
I was thinking, as we were worshiping, the thought came to my mind. I heard all your voices saying, I'm like, Lord, how did all these people get here? I know they're from different states. When did they get saved? How did they get saved? Because some little feet got to them. I got saved in Florida, but I'm a pastor in Virginia. Some of you got saved in New York, or you got saved in Las Vegas, or different places. I'm actually not making these up. These are all real. I know some of the places in this room, different countries, because someone got the gospel to you. But it, was, it wasn't because someone was trying to do it all. People were focused on a few, and God did the much. That's that whole fish and loaves. So as we look at this, understand that it's the seek first foundational components of the kingdom that help us walk and the broader and even complex fullness of discipleship because it, it's beyond your capability, but not when we're walking in the Holy Spirit. And it works like this, that, that the personal surrender to Jesus and that willing commitment to being a disciple, the daily feeding on the word, uh, all of those things will result in us walking these things out. And that love and that godly desire uh, for our family will extend to that church family. As a supernatural byproduct, not to mention it's part of our calling and we're commanded to, but it will be a supernatural byproduct and it'll flow into the world and we'll have a care for the world because Jesus has a care for the world. We won't want to be of the world, but we'll want to bring Christ to the world. The beautiful feet that we looked at in that verse earlier. Now, not pictured in the graphic would be additional circles. Again, additional things that, that, that fall under the realm of us being disciples. We'll look at six more in the next three weeks. But by God's grace, helping us to walk seamlessly back and forth through these areas in our Christian life. I mean, I put on all these hats sometimes in 10 minutes. How about you? Where I'll be in the world, talking to someone on the phone, building someone up, praying to God personally, and back and forth you go. But it should, it should become more and more like just something you do without thinking. You act Like you drive the car, you drove 20 minutes, don't remember how you got there. It becomes seamless. You might want to pay attention, though, just uh, you know, as you're doing that. But be a little more attentive than that. But, uh, this, uh, but all of this only happens with a genuine surrender and the Holy Spirit living in us. Uh, but if we've committed, if we've really committed, Jesus will help us flourish in these areas and in the other discipleship areas. And here's the best part, without striving and without guilt when you fail. Isn't that great? Without striving and without guilt when you fail. He's not giving you a free pass to keep failing, but you won't have the guilt about it and you won't strive about it. Do you, do you beat up your kids for every single mistake they've ever made? No. You want them to live in peace. You want them to grow. You want them to flourish. You want to forgive mistakes, but not keep making the same mistake, but also grow and not strive about it. That's the way God wants to do in our life. But we have a responsibility to keep the primary things primary, to prioritize our life. Jesus said, I want you to prioritize your life. Seek first these things. This is the order. That's why we're going through these 12 things. Um, prioritize our lives Seek first, number one, based on his commands. Number two, Jesus said to him who has, more will be given. As we do these things, he says, your capacity will grow. Your, capacity, your lung capacity will grow. You'll have the same lungs, but it will grow. Um, but as we're faithful with the essentials, he gives us the grace to carry out and 
the breadth and the depth of our personal discipleship while at the same time effectively loving, growing with others and ministering to others. And all of this Jesus is going to do in your life and my life without adding any more additional hours. You only will get the same 24 hours in a day. He's not going to add any more hours, but you're going to find the more we walk in the Spirit, you'll be much more effective and efficient in the hours. You'll find all kinds of wasted space. I'll find it. I, I, I'm still finding it. I got saved in 1995. I, my wife can attest to this. I'm fine in 2020. I still have all kinds of nooks and crannies of wasted space where Jesus says, I'm going to take that. I'm going to take that. We're going to renovate that part of your little house. I'm talking about the two words of house. We're going to renovate that piece, that piece, that piece. But I'm not, you don't have to strive about it. He just takes more and more control of all of us, and we start to use our time. You know, Jesus, when you watch his life, he has this slow, steady pace that's getting more done than everybody else. It's amazing. Everybody else is running around like the road runner, right? And Jesus is getting more done at a slow, steady pace, and everybody else is running around literally chicken with their head cut off. How is that possible? We're walking all these areas. Um, a quick reminder of the underpinning of this series, and I added a fourth. It wasn't there last week, but I felt uh, it had to be there. Uh, just again, the underpinning of this. What's written? What Jesus expressly commands, we find that in the Gospels, and a few in the epistles where some red letter of his teachings show up in some of the epistles. Uh, three, we have to hear it, believe it, and apply it. And number four, again, None of it's even possible without the help of the Holy Spirit. Amen? Amen. You still have to have the Holy Spirit. All the stuff we need his help with. Um, let's look at these next two discipleship we statements. And this, again, these eventually will go up on our website and everything. You'll be able to point people to them if they want to know stuff about the church. Say, this is what, this is what, what we're seeking to walk as. And so it says, we love each other like family. We seek to grow in fellowship. We believe and rejoice that God has saved and adopted us from various backgrounds and experiences and has united us into the family of God to have unity and fellowship. So we make time for one another. We encourage continually. We love and support one another as brothers and sisters through peace and, here's a big one, conflict no matter what because people will mess with people, even Christian people, even families. But we'll come through that because we're to love like the family of God. Number six, uh, again, these are the, the six of the 12. Uh, we share the gospel locally and beyond. We believe that the Great Commission was given by Christ, Matthew 28 and other places, as the primary external purpose of the church and each individual disciple. It's not just the everybody else. It's us personally and bringing the good news of salvation to every person. So we reach out using various means to evangelize the Richmond area as well as supporting missions and church planting around the world. We'll have more opportunities later this year. I've, got, I've been talking to some other pastors and things that you'll have an opportunity to be a part of. But these are what we're looking at this morning. So let's look at the first one. We love each other like family and seek to grow in fellowship. Now, I think our church is actually healthy in this respect and quite healthy. Uh, but even though healthy, you have to stay healthy. Amen? Part of being healthy is, you know... Um, Remember that, uh, uh, that documentary, I think it was McDonald's Superside, the dude ate McDonald's for like 30 straight days. He went from healthy to not healthy really fast. 30 days. It only took that long to go <laughs> nosedive. And so God says, that, you know, wherever you're at, 
stay healthy, but actually become more healthy and not in a striving again in the work of the Holy Spirit. In Psalm 133, 1, I've got a couple different passages. Let's take a look at them together. The first one, Psalm 133, 1, um, it's in the middle. Behold how good and pleasant it is for brethren to dwell in what? Unity. We look at these different words that I've highlighted, the ones, uh, 2 Corinthians 6, 18, I will be a father to you and you shall be my what? Sons and daughters. This is God speaking. I will be a father to you. You'll be my sons, says the Lord God Almighty. 1 Peter 3, 8, 9. Finally, all of you be of one mind. Here's that unity again. Having compassion for one another. Love as brothers. You can put sisters there too. And sometimes the Bible just uses uh, the whole umbrella of brothers to mean all of us. Be tenderhearted. Be courteous. Not returning evil for evil. He's writing to the church here. He's writing to believers that be careful that you don't go back to your former ways. Uh, not reviling, but on the contrary, blessing, knowing that you were called to this, you may inherit a blessing. And so all of these things, God says, I want you to be my sons and daughters. I want you to live as brethren. How, I want you to have unity. I want you to love. I don't want you to return evil for evil the way that you did before salvation. Say, will you cuss me out? I cuss you back out. That's the way it works. You know, the whole eye for an eye, tooth for tooth thing was actually administered. It was supposed to be administered by the government, not person to person. They got that wrong by the time Jesus had gotten there. And everyone lived with a vengeance mindset. So Jesus comes along and says, not, not, not my followers. They will, they will now be laying down their life for the sake of Christ. And unity and relationships will grow in the process. Um, the family of God. From the beginning, um, in all through scriptures, God works within a family construct. Uh, the only reason we can comprehend the family unit, in spite of how Satan is trying to destroy it in our country, did you know in America, I just read this recently, we are number one, number one in the world in single parenting now. Nation that was, I mean, the Puritans landed here. Uh, we have all kinds of, you know, churches on every corner. We're number one in the world in single parents. Now, I love the single parents. We're ministering to single parents. I was raised at time by a single parent. Some of you were. I have a great place in my heart for that. I, I still know it's not God's plan. So we're going to love people where they're at, but it's still not God's plan. And, and it's really problematic because we go to places like Bon Air Correctional Facility and 85% of them are from single parent homes. That's a big problem. But we're number one in the world now in that, and Satan is trying to destroy the family unit. But, uh, and the main reason is because God designed it. And anything God designed, Satan attacks. But God's always been about the family. It's true that sin sprung from a family at the beginning. Amen? We know that's true. But it's also true that God sent salvation through that family, later through the man Abraham and his line. The nation of Israel was originally 12 what? 12 sons. It was a family. The nation was a family. 12 sons become the 12 tribes. The Passover lamb was supposed to be one lamb for each what? Family or a couple of families if the families were small. So it was always about the lamb was about the family. For a family or a couple of small families, like two in apartments, two small families, they could share a lamb. Jesus is from the lineage and the what? Household of David. He's called a son of David. Jesus called his 12 disciples. They lived together for three years as brothers. 
They were brethren. He teaches us to pray collectively to what? Our, that's a plural term, our Father. The New Testament church is referred to as brothers and sisters. The household, addition to disciples. So we have these family connotations. It's all through the Bible. God's name, Father. Jesus' name, Son. Family. We're called the family of God. And so we're to be called uh, one family made up of many families and individuals, which is especially great if you're here and you don't have a family. Isn't that great? I've, I've met plenty of people who got saved, and I ask them, so how are your parents? My parents are both gone. How about siblings? I'm down to one. What about it? I don't have any other family. Isn't it great when people get saved and they now have a family? If they don't have a family? Or say, I was adopted, and I really don't know anybody else. I mean, we've got a lot of people that are, did you know people in America have become more, more and more isolated? Plenty of articles about this. I mean, it's becoming that way. So God wants to pull us back in uh, to a family. Uh, we're not to be a broken family. We're not to be a combative family. We're not to be an apathetic family, zoned out on our smartphones. We're not to be a dysfunctional family. I'm talking about now the body of Christ, the family here. Uh, there's plenty of that in the world. And of course, God doesn't want you that in your personal families either. There's plenty of that in the world. And please, don't feel guilty or ashamed this morning if your current family situation is not what you would hope and you know God would want it to be. I don't want you to feel guilty or ashamed if your family situation is currently tattered. Why? Because God's still in the remodeling business, the renovating business, the restoring business, the healing business. So none of us need to get down and, and just put an arm around people's family situations that are still tattered. But by the Spirit... This family, this CCR family, is to reflect Christ and to be a light and to lighten one another's load. Amen? We're to lighten each other's load. This is clear with the very beginning of the igniting, the empowering of the church. Turn with me for just a second to Acts chapter 2. Acts chapter 2, after the Spirit had fallen... Starting in verse 40, and with many other words, he testified and exhorted them, saying, Be saved from this perverse generation. Then those who gladly received the word were baptized, and that day 3,000 souls were added. Won't that be awesome if we can see that in Chesterfield County? They continued steadfastly in the apostles' doctrine and fellowship and the breaking of bread and prayers, and fear came upon every soul, and many wonders and signs were done among the apostles. Now all who believed were together. They had all things in common. They sold their possessions and good and divided them among all as many as had need so continually, daily with one accord in the temple and breaking bread, house to house, they ate their food with gladness and simplicity of heart, praising God, having favor with all the people. And the Lord added church daily those who were being saved. They came together. They helped one another. They loved one another. They worshiped together. They actually exhorted one another. They strengthened one another. That's God's desire. Now, there's some parts of church history I get. You know, they, they, yes, the, the temple's going to be destroyed. And, and, you know, at that point, you know, maybe 30 years, 30, 35, 40 years out, and those things were prophetically, you know, 
given to the apostles. And so there's lots of other things. But what's not to be overlooked was that breaking bread, loving on one another, sharing, helping one another, that God loved it so much that he poured out a, the favor on them, blessing on them, because they were reflecting the kind of family, really, that the nation state of Israel was supposed to reflect and really never did. Short periods of time they did, but for the most part did not. And so the church is to reflect it, that Jesus, that prayer, John 17, that they would be one, and the world would see, wow, you guys really actually love each other. You actually, you know, I, I, I used to, you guys know, I used to be in corporate America. And what I found when I worked in corporate America is the vast majority of people that I work with in corporate America only hang out with other people that work in corporate America. It, they, they'll act like they're the most diverse, most this, most that, and it's totally a farce for the most part. I know there's exceptions to everything, but for the most part, they hang out with themselves, they have their craft beers with themselves, they all have the stuff to themselves, everything's basically the same, and say, well, tell me about the diversity. How many poor people do you know? I don't know any. How many people that don't look like you, you know, well, one, and, and a bunch at work, though, because we have a diversity, you know, HR mandate, and all this other stuff, you know, we, so we got all of that at work, but what about you personally? Draw a blank. Then the church comes along, and without any HR mandate, it actually looks real and authentic. Amen? Because it's a work of the Spirit. Because Jesus died for everyone. And so we have people in this church, some of you, uh, you, know, you don't have much at all. You barely can pay your rent. And you got other people in here who are doing much beyond that. But over time, God allows people to minister to people. And say, hey, you know, come over our house. Well, I've never been invited over like that. I thought that you only invite people like yourself level, which is the way the world operates. Isn't that true? People don't want to hear it out there, but that's the reality. But we're to reflect the book of Acts. It wasn't, didn't matter what their background. They all came together. We're a bunch of individuals and families, small and large. And we know later in Acts chapter 6, there were a lot of widows in the church. Lots of them. We have a lot of widows here, both elderly and single parents, and we're, we're going to minister and love them uh, just like they have a strong nuclear family because this is their family. And we, um, we know that right here with the birth of the family, uh, the original disciples, we know right in Acts chapter 2, do you know that day it was people from all over the world there? The Holy Spirit had to give this miraculous, Peter speaks, and the United Nations earpieces went to everybody, and they heard in their own language because they were from all over the world, different skin colors, different backgrounds. Peter speaks, and everyone hears in their language. That was the church was birthed. It looked like the United Nations on the birthday as it was birthed. Later, it became all segregated and nonsense, but was not the way it started. All these different cultures and ethnic backgrounds. But while everyone was still warmed by the work of the Spirit, that's when the people kept coming together and breaking bread and all those things taking place. And more and more people were getting saved. Uh, remember, remember how broken and sinful and messed up the sons of Jacob were? Have you ever read? Sons of Jacob were a mess. They were worse than reality TV. You know, uh, for a while there, they were really a bad lot. But then God did a work, and they became united as a family, even after selling their brother. 
God takes the whole, you talk about a dysfunctional family. God takes the whole mess, and they all repent, they all get right, and then they begin to flourish in Egypt, which was a picture of the world because Egypt was the world empire at the time. So they, get, they flourish in Egypt, and we should flourish in our Egypt, which is the world we live in. We should, the world should be able to see. We came together. We were a mess. We were a, bunch, we were a bad lot. God fixed us, put us together, and then we flourished, just like the sons of Jacob did. But the Lord doesn't want us just to flourish. He wants us to reflect the light and the risen life of Jesus. It's how we love. It's how we serve. It's how we forgive that the world will know we belong to Jesus. We'll have to love and help each other past our many flaws. Yes, you have them too. I have them. We have to love past our flaws. And in many cases, uh, we're far more defective and weak than we portray ourselves to be. Our Facebook profile says awesome <laughs> Our real life says something else. <laughs> look what we did last night. Look at my hair look perfect. Early, you know, you know, all that stuff. No. We really need one another, don't we? When we're feeling great and when we don't feel so great, we actually still need people. Even when we're feeling great, we think we don't need anyone. Because I, I was very self-reliant for salvation. If I did not need you, I did not need you. But then when I get saved, I realize I need people even when I'm doing well. I still need people, even when I'm doing well, not just when, oh, I'm a mess, somebody help me, even when we're down and defeated or when we're feeling good. In Galatians 4.2, it says to bear one another's burdens and so fulfill the law of Christ. Uh, we're to help restore people. We're to help bring them to a place of overcoming sin. People, most people I know don't want to stay in sin if they're saved. They don't want to stay there, and they need, hey, help me bear this. Help me come through this. The world's love is very conditional, isn't it? You scratch my back, I scratch your back, right? You don't scratch my back, I don't scratch your back. Um, very conditional, very self-focused. But we're told to forgive again and again and again and not expect anything returned. To love people and not expect anything. Jesus said you should actually find it to invite people to dinner and bless people that cannot bless you back. They can't they don't have the money to take you back to five guys. You have to take them, but they can't take you because they couldn't afford to do it. Jesus says that's better. It's better to you to find and minister. But we're not, we're not to be conditional. We're to be forgiving. 1 Peter 4.8 says, Above all things, have fervent love for one another, for love will cover a multitude of what? Sins. You and I will sin against each other sometimes with just our attitudes, our abrasiveness, our rudeness. Now, that should get less and less over time, but still it crops up. Those of you that are married, you know it crops up. Someone was elbowing someone right now. Yeah, last night. Remember, that was so rude. And I'm over it. I'm just still thinking about it. But I'm over it. You're not over it. No, because... because we're, we're more sensitive than we try and act like we are. But real love takes grace and humility. It has to consider others better than ourselves. The scriptures say to consider others better than ourselves. Well, we try and do that. We have a hard time really considering that others are actually better than us. So I just have to say it by faith. Lord, they're better than me. Start with that. Just say, Lord, if you said it, I'm going to say it to myself at least, that they have more value. 
Not a, we, we shouldn't be avoiding people that rub us the wrong way. This is stepping on some toes. But, uh, uh, but, but you have to patiently work through that. You have to patiently work through that. Take some time, but you've got to work through it. We're called to love one another. Uh, we must grow aware of one another. Have our eyes open. Don't be so self-consumed that we don't see other people's needs. Aware of one another. Have a true care for one another. Look for people that need encouragement. Don't always wait for you to be encouraged. You start, he who waters others will himself be refreshed. So we start seeing, if I encourage them, God will take care of me. And he will. Just start pouring out. The more you pour out, God will pour. And matter of fact, uh, D.L. Moody, you say, God can't fill an e a vessel that hasn't been poured out first. Your vessel can't be filled by the Lord until you pour it out. It goes everything, our time, talent, treasure, all of it. Uh, th this family room, your family room at home, the dinner table at your house, the Bible study maybe that you attend, the fellowship over coffee, all of that, Jesus wants it to be sweet. He wants it to be growth building. He wants it to be strength giving. He wants it to be joyful. And he wants it to be authentic. The world has enough fake stuff out there. In a family, we're called to love people where they're at, but we don't want us or them to stay where they're at. Did you hear me on that? We love people where they're at, but we don't want ourselves or them to stay where they're at because we're all continued to continue growing in the Lord. But we'll find them where they're at. We're called to victory. We're called to new growth. We're called to maturing. All these things are what the Lord wants to do as he prunes us collectively, as one big tree, lots of branches. Uh, we'll always have some needs, but as we're mature, we'll become less of the passenger on a plane and more of the flight attendant on a plane. That makes sense? The passenger's like, ding, 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 give me this, give me that, I don't need this. The flight attendant is, how can I help you? Oh, calm down, we're used to these bumps. Oh, that's okay, that happens. The flight attendant is experienced mature, and is there to serve. The passenger is, there's not enough room in my seat, all that stuff. Less passenger, more flight attendant in the family of God. We'll understand the drops. We'll be able to do all that. We, we need unity building. We need trust building. You've got to build trust. Relationships, they require trust. We need gift and ability identifying. We, we can say, hey, you have a real gift in, and I've noticed that, and I want to encourage you in that. Gift identification. Um, uh, the family of Jesus isn't to become, in your home family, professional TV watchers. We have a lot of that in this country. But intentional with relationships. Intentional with relationships. Uh, it's when I spend time with my own family that, uh, that we talk, that we laugh that I see potential areas that I didn't see. Oh, wow, you have a lot of potential in that that I did not see before, that we see spiritual needs, talents. When I hang out with believers, when I hang out with some of you, when I hang out with believers, I see, wow, they're, that, they're the socket wrench we've been looking for. They're the stringed instrument we lacked. They're the wheelbarrow that will move that rock. They're the creativity that we prayed for. They're the baby whisper. <laughs> I've got a partial gifting there, but I'm of no value because I'm always here. I can't be over in the toddler room. But if people, I carry a baby. I, I'm pretty good with it. But most of you, again, 
God has something you bring to the table because he gave it to you, not because you did anything great. Perhaps you're the second person in some two-by-two area. Maybe you're the missing person to a specific team. Discipleship is a me and a we endeavor. I mean, it has a personal component, but it's always a collective. It's individual and it's together. Jesus calls us personally and places us together to go together, two by two, family. We must pray together. It's imperative. That's why we're, we're seeing our prayer nights are growing tremendously, and it's a great thing. And as we do this as a family, um, it prepares us and makes us more effective by the Spirit to be instruments to grow the family of God, but also to go, which we want to close with, to go and make disciples home, here, and outside these four walls, outside this country even. We've been, we've been adopted by Jesus as orphans to love other orphans and to bring other orphans in. All of that. I got an amen from a baby there. How about that? Um, we share the gospel. Um, I mentioned that we'd come back to a passage, take a look at as we close with sharing the gospel, and I'm going to take a lot less time on this, but um, I just want you to see in that passage in Romans. In Romans 1, 16, 17, for I am not ashamed of the gospel of Christ. We understand there's the gospel. That is conversion. The second part is verse 17, which I normally take out the number, but I left it here so you could see it. In verse 17, just shall live by faith. That's discipleship. In that passage is a picture. Saved now being discipled. He, living by faith is a lifetime thing. Salvation is Jesus redeemed me. I remember that he came. He saved my soul. I have been saved. Now, some people don't remember the exact day, and that you still can be saved at a, not a specific point in time. But once you are saved, once the gospel has saved you and you believed on Christ, then to live by faith is discipleship. The just shall live by faith. Many Christians are not living by faith. Therefore, they're not disciples. If you're still living by sight, that's not, if you're saying, I'm living by the words of Jesus, that's discipleship. That's discipleship. Also, um, in the Great Commission, two places, uh, Mark's gospel, Matthew's gospel. We read some of Matthew's gospel earlier. But you can see conversion in Mark. Preach the gospel and the word believe. Matthew's gospel is make disciples. There's discipleship. We see the same two things, conversion Discipleship, conversion, discipleship. And the reason why the American church is so incredibly weak is we are, we've done a lot of conversions, but not discipleship. And, and not asking people, hey, this is what Jesus has called us all to. Well, I thought he just called pastors to that. No, or elders to that. or No, everyone's been called to be a disciple. And you as a stay-at-home mom, or you as someone who works as a nurse, or you as someone who's a teacher... You'll be able to reach people with your light that other people won't reach. So there's that aspect of it. You know, we're not just uh, we're not of the world, but we are in the world. And our growth in unity it circles back to what brought us into the family of God in the first place. As we grow in the family of God, the gospel will come forth. We come together out of love and obedience to Christ, and we come together. We come together as a family with the confidence that he'll bless that. But we go out and share the gospel and invest in the work of the gospel, missions, church planting, you know, prison ministry, all these things, out of the same expectancy that our obedience to Christ 
that we can have the confidence he'll bless that too. Amen? You believe he'll bless the family part? You believe he'll bless the gospel part? Yes. They go part and parcel. He, he saved the families. So they become a mighty army. We're also called soldiers of Christ. So uh, to go, as he's writing the church in Romans, yes, God wants unity, but he also wants the church to reach out to people and say, well, we're happy with our big family, so we don't really need any more people in the family. We love each other a lot, so much so. See ya. No, no, no. The people that are down the street need Jesus. They're a part of the family of the world, which is on the road to destruction. So by grace, we start to see the world as Jesus did. He saw it as a mission field, didn't he? He saw it as a mission field. And back to this, back to this um, graphic again. We'll walk in and out of these things, but we will, we will all have our feet in the part that is sharing the gospel, not just missionaries. All of us will have a part in saying to say to your coworker, hey, I'd love to invite you to church. It's a great place to start. Just invite someone to church. You know, most people have never been personally invited to church. Because if they come here, they will get the gospel. You can blame me, no matter what. So when you bring, you can blame me. You can throw, my pastor is at fault. Uh, I was, I didn't want to share it because I thought you might really not never talk to me again. So I'll put you in that seat and he'll share it and then you'll be good. I got saved like that. Someone invited me to church because I don't think they wanted to kind of break the trust and thing. And then I come and get saved and, and they're, then they never even follow Jesus. And I did. So um, it works that way. I don't know. But we become a group of others-minded, spirit-filled Samaritans. Like, remember the good Samaritan? He wasn't really good, but he did the good thing. Uh, we become Samaritans that do the right thing. And that is we look at people and say, no, we need to bring Christ to you. Spurgeon said, if you do not love the, uh, you do not love the Lord at all unless you love souls, the souls of others. You do not love the Lord at all unless you love the souls of others. It's one of the ways that we know that Jesus has radically changed us, that we, that we love souls. When the family is loving and it's strong and it's growing and it's spirit-filled, we'll win souls, but we'll also disciple them because we'll be disciples. Disciples make disciples. It's a spiritual axiom. Disciples make disciples. Apple trees make apple trees. Orange trees make orange trees. Banana trees make banana trees. The axiom holds. John 15, 8, he said, By this my Father is glorified that you bear much fruit. Not just spiritual fruit, but also the fruit of multiplication. Yes, it's the fruit of the Spirit. Yes, it's also multiplication. The gospel and being born again gives birth to discipleship. And disciples share the gospel. This is the real circle of life. You ever heard that Lion King thing, circle of life thing? That's a bad circle of life because there's a lot of people, this animal eats this animal and this animal, you know, so it's not, it's like a circle of death is really what it's like, you know. But, um, but people are like, oh, that's the circle of life. I'm like, well, if you were the gazelle, you wouldn't call it the circle of life. You call it the circle of death. So, you know, but that circle is not one you want to be in usually. Unless you're at the top of the food chain, then it's, a, then it's a great circle for you. But it's not a great circle for everybody else. But this circle of life, nobody dies, everybody lives. Isn't that great? This circle, everybody lives. The family lives. The unsaved person gets saved. They live forever. Everyone in the circle lives. 
because the life and the living is in Jesus Christ. But we have to care. We have to believe. We have to obey. Jesus said everything is already ready. Did you know that? Jesus said everything's already ready. Everything's prepared. We can't neglect our own home. 70% of kids, as I mentioned before, 70% of kids in the church are leaving the church, never coming back. 70%. We can't neglect. Your home is a mission field, by the way. But it's not the only mission field. It's part of the larger mission field. Do I care about my own home? Yes. First and foremost, I care about my daughters knowing Jesus for the rest of their life. But do I only care about them? Absolutely not. I care about those kids at Bonaire. I care about those kids down the street. I care about the kids at Cosby, Clover Hill, VCU, UR. Right? And people in nursing homes and hospitals, everything. It, all of it matters to Jesus. He didn't say, well, I care about this, but the rest of you guys aren't that important to me. Everyone. The home and the world. Let me close with this. Personally, as a church family, I've come a long way. We've come a long way. But we still have a long way to go. But Jesus is faithful. We'll need to learn to love and grow as a family. We'll need to share, need to learn to share Christ more often, more effectively, more with the spirit and with boldness. It's a tall task. It's a really tall task. But we have an infinite God and an infinite Savior. Do you believe that? We have an infinite God, an infinite Savior. And so we need to keep our eyes on Jesus, our eyes on Jesus, our ears tuned to Jesus, our feet following Jesus, our lips praising Jesus. We can't fixate. I, I wanted to be done 10 minutes ago, but I'm, I have to make this point because the Lord put this in. He said, don't miss this. We cannot fixate on our sins. We cannot fixate on our weaknesses. We cannot fixate on our inabilities, our failures, our insecurities, our weights, our procrastinations, our fears. We can't fixate on all that. You can't. You fixating on that mess is exactly what Satan wants us to do. He wants us fixated on the mess. Jesus wants us to be honest with him. Confess these sins, no making excuses, no sewing on fig leaves, lay it all at his feet, say, Lord, we're sorry, we're genuinely sorry, we're weak, we're desperate, we're quite a mess. Please transform us, worship, serve, leave it there, and fix your eyes on him. Amen? Let's close in prayer. Lord, we just bow before you again. We know that, Lord, these discipleship principles, they're life-giving. They're not a circle of death. They're a circle of life. Lord, you're not asking us to wear holy halos. You're asking us to be genuine, humble servants, daily cleansed and transformed by the mercies of Jesus. And so, Lord, I pray that in this church, Lord, help us, Lord, to truly know what it means to love one another as you have loved us, but also love the world outside of us Lord, that both will feed our hunger for you as we love each other and we love a lost and dying world. Lord, we'll be more and more amazed at your grace. It's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen.